I'm 13 years old. Being a part of Momentum and Pulse the last two years has really helped me connect my faith to my life. I'm encouraged by the friends I've made at Cornerstone. My leaders meet with me and challenge me. Thank you, Cornerstone, for sacrificing in the present to prepare me for future generation to serve God. Okay, so some of you uh, may know this, but uh, yesterday, uh, my adopt, Lisa, I should say, Lisa and my adopted daughter from Kenya uh, got married. So very cool day, yeah, very exciting. Here's the deal, I was late to my own daughter's wedding. Okay, so to get this, you gotta back it up a few days, and uh, someone called me and said, Lynn, hey, what time is the wedding? And I said, no, I, I don't know, and so I turned, I knew it was in the afternoon, but I turned uh, to Jimmy, uh, my future son-in-law, and I said to him, hey, what time is your wedding on Saturday? And he said, three o'clock, Papa. Okay, and I said, oh, okay. So I told the person, on three o'clock. Now fast forward to yesterday. Uh, it's 1.40. I decided to be a great husband and uh, call my wife and say, okay, so what time do you want me to be there? Uh, and of course, because I'm doing uh, the wedding too. So I, what time do you want me to be there? 1.40. And uh, she says, uh, you're in the parking lot, right? I said, no, I'm not in the parking lot. I'm calling you right now. I, I haven't shaved. I haven't gotten dressed today. I haven't even seen the shower. Haven't put on my tux. I'm going to get ready right now. And I was just calling, what time do you want me to try to be there? She goes, Lynn, you're supposed to be here right now. I said, no, I'm not. It's a 3 o'clock wedding. It's 1.40. I'm, I'm not supposed to be there right now. And through a cracking voice that only a wife uh, can give, she says, Lynn, the wedding is at 2. By now, it's 1.41, and I have not showered. I have not shaved. I have not put on my tux. I run into the shower. I am doing things at unbelievable breakneck speed. Things are not getting dried off. It ought to be dried. We're going. And, um, I come down to the church. I end up getting here at 2.05 for my own daughter's wedding. I say all of that to say to you, if you happen to have been driving the 202 yesterday <laughs> at about 2 o'clock, and you saw your pastor with his cornerstone bumper sticker in the back window. I apologize. <laughs> hey, we are, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a series uh, together uh, called I Love My Church. And what we've been just kind of unpacking and doing together is saying, look, we get it. We get that God is doing something really unique, incredible in this place. And so we've been asking simply this question, what is it? What is it about this place that has all of us here and coming, and we say, boy, the first day I walked in, I knew this was home. Why, why are we inviting our friends? Because many of us in our journey have been to other places. We've been in other churches, and we wouldn't say that about some of those other experiences. So we said, well, what is it about this place that makes it unique and different? And one of the things we've just said out loud is that we believe part of that are our values, that screen with which we run our decisions through around this place that really, in many ways, help to keep us on track to say, look, we want to do our very, very best to make ourselves available for God to do His best work here. 
And what does that mean? What are those types of decisions that you and I have to do to position ourselves to say, look, God, we've done everything on our behalf to be ready for you to show up. Will you show up and do something way, way, way out of the box with us? So we've been unpacking those together. Today, we're going to unpack maybe one that I think is hugely unique and potentially says so much about who we are and about our future, and it's simply this. We have said since day one in this place that we will be willing to sacrifice in the present so that future generations, people coming behind us, will be better than us. Maybe another way of saying that. We have said we will gladly be uncomfortable, we will gladly give of ourselves financially and of our time and all that, in order that our children, in order that Christians who aren't here yet, would be better Christians than us because we laid the groundwork for them and that we would always be willing to make that decision together. Sacrificing in the present, the generations coming behind us would be better than us. Years ago, I'm growing up in the East Valley, and there's a church. It's an amazing church. On Sunday, the parking lots are full. They have huge buildings, just every classroom packed with people studying their Bibles. It was just an amazing place, and the reality is most of the churches around them couldn't figure out what was going on with them, and and you'd hear stuff like, they're just doing church wrong. I mean, you can't do that and do church, and it's so out of the box, and it's so, but nobody could deny that God was doing something just off the hook in that church. Matter of fact, if you lived within a 20-mile radius of that church, you were impacted by that church. Today, if on the way home you and I were to drive by that campus, There'd be rooms they don't even bother unlocking today. If you and I sat in their auditorium, half the pews wouldn't even have people in them. And as they sat there in their little holy huddle complaining about the community that wasn't there because they weren't spiritual enough to come to their church on Sunday. And you wouldn't have a hard time finding a parking place. You could park right next to the buildings. You and I would probably ask, what happened? I mean, where, where did the glory of God go? How, how did that become this? Where, where did they lose it? I mean, what decision took them completely in the wrong direction? I mean, what, what moment was it that they lived really, really badly and, and, and it just forever changed the culture of their church? And if you could go back and if you could do the autopsy, here's, here's what I believe you would find. I believe you would find that back in the day, when, when it was going on, I think you would find that they were a church of next. They were a church that said, look, 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 we will gladly sacrifice in the present to help the next generation, to help those who are coming behind us, to help those who are in our community and haven't found us yet. We will sacrifice to make them better than us. But that somewhere along the way, And here's the insidiousness of this, probably not any major decision, probably not one moment in time, 
probably small decision after small decision after small decision, they became a church of us, of me, and a church of now. They said, look, we're not about sacrifice, and we're not about, we're not about discomfort. We're, we're about how we like it and how we do it, and if you don't like it, then you can just go somewhere else because it's all about us, and it's all about now. You and I have the opportunity this morning to just unpack that decision, those, that way of thinking. And a matter of fact, we're going to take a look in the life of a king of Israel, an amazing king, a guy who was completely on track for God, and at the end of his reign, all of a sudden, completely changes all that is ever said about him, changes his heritage, because, you ready for this? He becomes, at the very end, a king about me, and a king about now. And you and I have the opportunity to learn from his mistakes. So grab your Bibles real quickly. Go with me today to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 20. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible and then start working to the right, you're going to find 2 Kings. A little bit of help. It's right next to 1 Kings. <laughs> Who said the Bible was hard? 1 Kings, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 20. While you're going, let me, let me give you some background. The name of the king we're going to talk about today is a guy by the name of Hezekiah, and if you've been around your Bible for a while, you might have heard his uh, name before. The reality is Hezekiah is an amazing king. He's a godly king. He has an incredible track record of serving God. Matter of fact, when King Hezekiah comes in to power, when he takes the throne, Israel is in a horrible state of affairs. They've allowed all of the surrounding countries and all of their false religions to come in and contaminate Israel. And all through Israel, you find false gods and you find Asheroth poles, and it's just an absolute mess. And when Hezekiah comes to the throne, he says, we're just done with all that. Israel is going to be a nation under God. And he tears down all the false idols and he takes the Asheroth poles and burns. I mean, he transforms Israel under his reign. And if his reign had stopped there, he would have gone down in history as being probably one of the best kings to ever reign. It's what he does to close out his reign that takes him off track. Here's the story. King Hezekiah is on his deathbed. The prophet Isaiah has come to visit him. And in the process of the visit, Hezekiah says to Isaiah, is it true, am I going to die? And Hezekiah looks at him and says, I mean, Isaiah looks at him and says, yeah, I've talked to the Lord, and the Lord says, you're going to die. Now, that's a bad hospital visit, okay? So don't even ask that when the pastor comes to the room. Just thank you for coming. So uh, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, yeah, uh, you're, you're going to die. Isaiah is leaving the palace, and as he leaves, Hezekiah begins to pray and say, God, please, please, give me more time. Let me live longer. And interestingly enough, God then speaks to Isaiah, says, Isaiah, turn around, go back to Hezekiah, tell him that I've heard his prayer. He's going to live 15 more years. Now, that's an incredible part of this story because it tells you and me and encourages you and me that there can be moments in our lives when it looks like the verdict is in, when by all accounts you and I are on the deathbed. 
the deathbed of a relationship, the deathbed of a career, a moment when it just looks like there is no answer. And it is possible to pray to a God who is bigger than any of our problems, including death, and ask Him to change the outcome. And there is a God who can do that on our behalf. So Isaiah heads back into the king's room and says, look, God heard your prayer. You get to live for 15 more years. Now, an interesting thing happens. This moment, this story begins to get told. It begins to filter out beyond Israel, and the surrounding nations around Israel begin to hear, hey, Hezekiah, the king of Israel, who was on his deathbed, I mean, everybody knew what the outcome was. Everybody knew that he was going to die, is now up walking around. He's fine. It's an incredible, incredible moment. And the king of Babylon, the lifelong enemies of Israel, hears this story and sends ambassadors, sends messengers to King Hezekiah to say, what in the world happened? And that's where you and I join the story. So here it is, it's 2 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 12. Here's what it says. At that time... Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift. You ready? Next phrase. Because, because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and he showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver and the gold and the spices and the fine oil and his armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, guys, don't, don't miss the moment. Scripture's not accidentally telling us the story, and it hasn't repeated Hezekiah showing off his stuff by accident. Because here's what you and I are supposed to glean from the moment. You and I are supposed to, in this moment, go, yes, Gaia. If there was ever a guy who understood that that stuff really wasn't his, Hezekiah, you're the guy. Because look, 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 every breath you breathe, every minute you live is because God changed the story and gave you those 15 years. So if there was ever a guy, if there was a guy that goes, look, 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 that pile of gold, it's not my pile of gold. And this palace isn't my palace. Everything I have, God gave me. Hezekiah, you're the guy who ought to know that. Verse 14. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and he asked, what did those men say? And, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Get the moment. Hezekiah is pretty darn sure this moment is all about him. 
It's all about me, Hezekiah would say. And before you get mad and before you throw him under the bus, and you get this as easy to do. And what's actually happening in this moment, here's, here's how Hezekiah has rationalized. This is what he's thought. He said, look, it's totally cool that God gave me 15 more years, and it's great that he answered my prayer, but really, this is, this is because I've been faithful to God. This is because I've been a good king, and I tore down the Asheroth poles, and I tore down all the false idols, and this is just kind of God paying back. I mean, this is, this is what you get, you know, because you served God, and so it, it's, it's just kind of even. And in his heart, it's all about Hezekiah. You get that's not the moment. That the real ultimate reason that God spared Hezekiah was so that the neighboring countries, that Babylon, would hear the story and be curious. And that as these messengers come from Babylon, they're not supposed to be seeing the glory of Hezekiah, they're supposed to be seeing the glory of God. And the problem is, is that Hezekiah just turned this moment, because it's all about him, into the first installment of Cribs. See, he's, he's sitting in this moment, he's going, dudes, come over here, have you seen my double-humped, leather-backed BMW camel? Power legs. Did you see my widescreen fountain? And God says, look, 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 no, no, you're, miss, you're, you're missing this. Hezekiah, it's not all about you. This was a moment in which I was supposed to get the fame. I was supposed to get the glory. And how much better, Hezekiah, when these guys had come, if you would have said to them, look, the only reason I'm sitting here is because there's a God who can raise men off their deathbed. And how much better if these emissaries, these messengers had gone back to the king of Babylon and said, look, we saw it for ourselves. I mean, it's an incredible thing. This guy, I mean, by everyone's account, he was dead almost. And God raised him up. And so here's what we're saying. The king of Israel, the God of Israel, the God of Israel is more powerful than the gods of Babylon. We better never invade that country. If you know your Bible history, you know that just a few short years from this time, Babylon will invade, and every single thing that Hezekiah showed off will be carried back to the treasuries of Babylon because Hezekiah thought it was about him and not about God. How, how much better in this moment if those messengers had gone back to Babylon and said, look, look, all I can tell you is this, it's real. I mean, it happened. And if the God of Israel is that powerful, maybe we should check that God out. You get that Hezekiah absolutely blows the moment because Hezekiah is pretty sure it's all about him and not about the glory of God. Now, guys, we do this. We do this. See, some of us who came here, when you walked in the door, I mean, your life was a mess. I mean, your life was one mistake in front of another mistake. And in the process of figuring out Jesus and giving your life to him, everything has changed. Everything has changed. And some of us think that's because it's all about me. And you have no concept of what God is trying to say to your friends 
and to your family through you. See, some of us in this room, when you walked in the door, your marriage was dead. I mean, it was dead. And, and everyone knew it. Everybody was ready to pronounce it dead. And your spouse had one foot already out the door, and then God. And if you're not careful, you'll decide that the new life and the wonder of a relationship restored is all about you and not about him. See, some of us in this room, we've got jobs. And you would think of, of all people, of all people who'd go, look, I get it. Boy, there is a God in heaven, and other people in my department have been laid off, and I've still got a job, and that surely is all about me because I'm a better employee, and I worked harder. And, and if you and I are not careful, we'll be pretty sure that it's all about us and not about him. A couple years back at the Super Bowl, two coaches, Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith, were getting ready to play each other, Indianapolis Colts, Chicago Bears, and it was actually an incredible moment because for the first time, a African-American coach, a black coach, was going to lead a team into the Super Bowl, and the thing that was momentous about this is that both coaches were black. So already you knew that history was going to be made because for the first time, a black coach was going to win the Super Bowl. And I mean, it was everywhere, guys. It was everywhere. You couldn't turn on ESPN. You couldn't turn on the nightly news and not hear this story about how something completely different in our culture was going to happen in this moment. It was a historic moment. How easy for two men to say, this, this is about me. That this is about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in the film room studying film. This is about years and years and years and years of being an assistant coach and not getting the next job and never being offered the head. This is about me and a heck of a lot of hard work. Instead, two Christian men, two followers of Christ, saw and understood the moment and said this, there is something going on here that is bigger than me it is bigger than the Super Bowl. And by all rights, the reason this moment is happening, it's what Hezekiah just said, by all rights, the reason I'm alive is because God is going to bring glory to himself. And so here's what two men did in that moment. They bought a full-page ad in USA Today. I, th I think we've got that. Do we have it we put on the screen? Yes? No? Okay. So they bought a full-page ad that could be put up on the screen if we were doing it. And <laughs> picture of Tony Dungy, picture of Lovey Smith. And here's what they said. They said, look, on Sunday at the Super Bowl, something really, really momentous is going to happen. Two black men are going to be coaching in the Super Bowl. They said, look, there's something bigger than football in our lives. And what you need to know is, is that both head coaches have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is where we find our faith and our confidence and our comfort. And it is more important to us than the Super Bowl. Full page ad, USA Today. The end of the Super Bowl. Uh, Tony Dungy wins. The Indianapolis Colts win. And standing there with the Lombardi Trophy, 
Tony Dungy is asked, hey, Tony, what does this moment mean to you? And in that moment, he remembered that it was not about him. And I think we've got that moment, okay? So let's, one more try, let's put that moment up. We said there's going to be a storm. We said the Lord doesn't always bring you directly through. Sometimes you got to work for it. And uh, our guys just hung to our city right now. This is one of those moments, Tony, where there is uh, also social significance in this victory. And to have your hands on the Vince Lombardi trophy, tell me what this means to you right now. I'll tell you what. I'm proud to be representing African-American coaches, to be the first African-American to win this. That means an awful lot to our country. But again, more than anything, I said it before, Lovey Smith and I, not only the first two African-Americans, but Christian coaches showing that you can win, doing it the Lord's way. We're more proud of that. Tony, congratulations, and I know you would love to hand that off to Peyton Manning right now. Hmm. It's not about me. It's about what God wants to do with me. Guys, this, I, I think this is a big deal for you and I to ask because in the midst of God blessing and doing incredible things here, I think you and I got to say, hey, is God doing this for us or is God doing this that he would be famous through us? You realize that you and I live in Maricopa County in Arizona. And not right now because we all know what's going on with the housing market, but do you realize over the last 15 years, Maricopa County has been the fastest growing county in the United States competing back and forth with Henderson County, Nevada, 15 years running. Not only do you and I live in Maricopa County in Arizona, but we live in Chandler, Arizona, one of the fastest growing cities in the fastest growing county in the United States, 15 years running. Not only do you and I live in Chandler, Arizona in Maricopa, but we live and go to church on a church that's located on Almaskor Road, a main tributary through Chandler, Arizona, up against the 202. And I'm, how many of you think that Chandler, Arizona has figured God out? And I just wonder if in this moment you and I are supposed to understand that what he's doing here and what he's doing isn't about us. It's about him. And if you and I get this wrong, and if you and I miss that moment, if you and I suddenly hunker down and go, I'm pretty sure this is all about me, and God just kind of setting the record straight and even, how many decisions we are from being the church of remember when? What's even worse maybe is what Hezekiah does next. Go with me uh, back to the passage. Not only is Hezekiah pretty sure that it's all about him, he's pretty sure it's all about now. It's all about me being comfortable, and it's all about me being happy, and it's all about things happening my way, and he, he didn't care much beyond now and him and his own comfort. Here's what he says. It's, it's uh, 2 Kings chapter 20 now in verse 16. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace all of that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. So everything you showed off, Hezekiah, everything that you thought was all about you won't be about anyone anymore. They'll have it. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, 
And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Anybody in here want to be a son of Hezekiah? I mean, isn't there a moment right now where you go, whoa, 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 Hezekiah, wait, 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 you get this is your mistake. And right now Isaiah is telling you that your kids, your grandkids are going to suffer for your mistake. Hezekiah, whoa, 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 right now is when you're supposed to raise your hand and say, look, look, no, no, this is on me. Take back my 15 years. Do it, just don't, don't, let, don't let those who are coming behind me have to live with my dumbness. Watch what Hezekiah does. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for here's what he thought. Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? You get the moment, he says, look, I, that's okay, I'll sell out my kids, I'll sell out my grandkids, okay, as long as I'm okay. Because it's all about me, and it's all about now, and it's all about my comfort, and it's all about me being okay. So whatever has to happen Years ago, I served in a church, a growing church, a vibrant church, that somewhere along the line decided it was all about us and it was all about now. It was all about comfort and it was all about what was easy. Our parking lots were full. You couldn't find a place. People were parking on the streets and in the neighborhoods on Sunday. Our, our buildings were maxed out and they were old and they were crummy buildings, but well, you couldn't find another place to put another person. And we were shaking up back to me. I was a youth pastor. And we began to have this conversation. Look, God's not going to be able to do what God needs to do next here. It's a horrible downtown location. The parking lots are full. There are no more places to put parking. The buildings are horrible. What we probably need to do is we probably need to sell these buildings, move down to where all the new growth is in our community down on the freeway. You know what the answer was? We can't do that. That'd be expensive. We, we don't have a mortgage payment right now, and if we did that, we'd end up with a mortgage payment. You know how long we worked to pay off these? No. You can, we're, we're good. We're good right where we are. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about us, and it's all about now, and who cares if the next generation doesn't have a place to meet? You'd walk in on Sundays, and we were, uh, we were doing uh, songs with slide projectors. Remember slide projectors? Okay? Slide projectors. And on our slides, you ready for this? Mountains with streams. Remember that in church? Mountains with streams. And then kumbaya. I don't remember. You know. And we, we, we came up with this novel idea. We need to trade out the slide projectors for video projectors. Oh, no, 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 no. That costs money, and, and we're just fine where we are, mountains and all. I got a chance to go back and speak at that church about a year ago. The parking lots are empty. The auditorium, you, you could shoot a gun in there and you wouldn't hit anything. The young people in their church are 70. 
And as I spoke to him, I said, look, guys, there's this church in Chandler, Arizona. And you need to know that, it, that in that church in Chandler, there are people just as old as you. There are. But here's the difference. They've said, it's not about me, and it's not about now. And I am willing to be uncomfortable in order to let the next generation come to church with me, to sit in this room and to do serve. Because here's what they've said. I'd rather, I'd rather be able to go after church with my son and my daughter to lunch and talk about what we just learned together than that every song we sang was my song. And, and I'd rather know that my grandkids made it into Sunday school today and learned about God and that I can talk to my grandkids about what they learned than to say, no, 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 no. We're going to sing my songs and we're going to do the service the way that I've always done my service and you go find your church somewhere else. And I said, I've got a room full of 70-year-olds who every single Sunday put earplugs in their ears so they can come be part of what God is doing. And you know, can I tell you, the room applauded. They applauded. You go to that church this Sunday, they're still exactly where they were. Because it's really, really, really hard once you become a church of me and now to turn it around to a church of next. So just for the next couple of moments that we got together, what, what does it mean? What does it look like if you and I decide to stay a church of next? So here are, the two, here are two things. That's what you and I have got to burn upon our hearts. Number one is simply this. It's a passion for their children. We've already said this out loud, so let's unpack it. It's a passion for their children to be better than they are. And guys, here's what you need to hear me say out loud real quickly. This isn't better off. This isn't about you and me saying, look, uh, I'm going to give my kid that five-tier jungle gym set in the backyard because when I was a kid, all I had was refrigerator boxes to play in. It's not what this is. It's not you saying, hey, my kid's going to drive a nearly new car when they get 16 because when I was a kid, my mom and dad gave me a junker. This isn't better off. This is your and my kids being better than us. It's saying, look, I, I want you in the moments when it requires courage to be bolder than we were. I want in those moments when you've got to know what the Bible says about that topic, that you know Scripture better than we knew Scripture. I, 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 I want that moment when it costs you to be a follower of Christ, that you hesitate less than your mom and your dad hesitated in the same moment. I want my children to be better followers of Christ than I was. And I'm willing. I, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing, I'm willing to sacrifice for that. How many have ever seen a relay race? Okay, this is, not, this is not a trick question. How many have ever seen a relay race? Okay. All right. So here's, here's what a relay race is all about. It is about a runner reaching back to the runner who has just run before them and taking that baton wherever it is in that moment. And then, once they receive the baton, running as hard as they can, running as fast as they can to make as much ground as they possibly can with this hope that when they hand it off to the next runner, the team will be further 
The team will be better. Hopefully the team will be in the lead because of what happened while they had the baton. That's our moment. It's our moment to say, look, our kids, the next generation coming through is going to be better than us because of how we chose to live. And guys, here's the thing. This isn't about you and I staying in control and staying in charge till we're 80. Well, Burr, I think it's time to hand it off to those young 60-year-olds. It means inviting those who are younger than us and less experienced than us into the room with us now. Which means, guys, look, look, I get it. I get that this is highly, highly uncomfortable. It's why most churches don't ever do this. Because if you and I do this, we're going to end up with a worship leader with facial hair. Who wears capris? We're going to end up with a senior pastor who dresses in jeans and doesn't know how to comb his hair. And what you and I have got to be willing to say is, look, look, look. I am willing to sacrifice. I'm willing for that service not to look exactly like my service. As long as, as long as I can be in the room. As long as I can help the next generation be better than I was for Jesus. Now guys, look, I get that this is hard. I get that there's, I get that there's sacrifice to doing church this way. Because, let's just be honest, 20-year-old young men in leadership are arrogant. Now, there's a bunch of 20-year-olds in the room right now going, no, I'm not. I'm just smarter than everybody else. <laughs> okay. And 20-year-old young women are full of drama. And if you and I invite young leaders in the room and say, look, you can come and you can be part of this, then there's going to be piercings in places you and I just don't even want to know about. I get it. But it's you and I saying, I'd rather have you in the room. I'd rather have the privilege of being in the room with you. Earplugs and all. If you'll let me speak into you. It's because it's not about me. And it's not about now. It's about you being better than me when I hand you the baton. Years ago, I'm, I'm serving as a youth pastor. and Man, we, we were filling up the room. We had kids all over the place, and we did this big event, so now there's even more kids. And uh, we had, I mean, just boatloads showed up for this event, and we weren't ready for them to come inside, so now we've got a bunch of pre-Jesus kids standing outside waiting to come in for the event. Anybody want to guess what pre-Jesus kids do when they're standing outside waiting to come in for the event? So there was this whole group of them that were over smoking right next to the First Baptist sign. <laughs> Cars driving up and down the boulevard were going... A couple of the kids couldn't find the bathroom, so they're urinating in the bushes. Right about that time, one of our deacons came walking by. And he was pretty darn sure. Kids smoking by the First Baptist sign, kids peeing in the bushes. Our church is going to hell. 
and Lynn is leading us there. <laughs> so he goes into my senior pastor, and I get called in the room, and we're all sitting down together, and here's the deacon. And praise God for a senior pastor who understood in that moment it's not about us, it's not about now, and that if you and I are going to have the next generation in the room, sometimes you and I get to sacrifice, and sometimes you and I get to clean up a little bit of poop. That's what you get to do. And he turned him to this passage, and if you've got your Bible this morning, go with me real quick to the book of Proverbs. It's going to be just a little bit to the right in your Bible. It's Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Here's the passage my senior pastor read that day. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. He says, look, you want to have a clean barn? Don't put any animals in it. Because you put animals in, and you're going to be shoveling a little bit. But from the strength of the oxen comes the abundance of the harvest. And my senior pastor looked at that deacon and said, I'd rather have high school kids all over this campus peeing in the bushes and smoking cigarettes and have to clean up a little bit after them than not have them at all. So here's your shovel. Because at the end of the day, guys, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's about the generation coming behind us being better than us. Last one, real quick. You get that spiritual children, what we've been talking about, we've been talking about our children being better. You get that spiritual children aren't just physical, they're also spiritual. It, it, it's, it's any person who's not as far along as you are biblically as someone who's not as far along in maturity. It's every person in this room who needs to know what you already know. They are your spiritual children. And our assignment is to make them better than us because they're next. I'm a junior in high school, and in my youth group, there's this twerpy little freshman by the name of Owen. And if you guys remember back to that, you don't hang out with freshmen. You don't do that. Juniors beat up freshmen. And here, this little freshman in our youth group is hanging around. I mean, everywhere I go, he sits next to me. I get up to leave the room, and he follows me. Church gets over, and he goes, can I go to lunch with you? No. Can I go home with you? No. I ended up going to my youth pastor, and I said, look, you got to help me out. There's this freshman. His name is Owen. He's like this shadow. I don't know if he's got like a man crush on me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. My youth pastor looked at me, and he said, finally, I'm a grandparent. I said, what? He said, no, 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 Lillian, you're missing the moment. I have poured into you everything I know in the desperate hope, Lynn, that you will be better than me. Now it's your turn to pour into Owen everything you've received that he might be better than you. I'm a grandparent. Now, guys, here's the cool thing. Here's, we are a church 
that has poured our lives into the next generation. We've got hundreds of people who are teaching children next door right now. We've got people who lead small groups. We've got people who stand at the door and just welcome Owen into the room on Sunday. But if you don't, if up until now it's always been all about you and all about now, I'm simply going to ask, do you have an Owen? Do you have a next who's going to be better than you because of you? Now, here's the deal. You can't get there without being uncomfortable. You can't get there without giving some sacrifice. And I am. I'm asking those of us in the room who are a little further along, a little more mature, to be okay. To be okay if we come in on Sundays and it's not your song. How many in here love all the songs that we sing? Okay, a few of you. I'm just going to be honest. There are some stupid songs. <laughs> Lift your hands and spin around. Really? <laughs> One person agrees with me. I go, dude, finally someone said the truth. And here's the question Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay for you and I to sacrifice a little bit and concede a little bit and not, for it not to be just all about me and what I would want and if I was going to do it, and is it okay? If it gives us a chance to be a multi-generational church and be in the room together and to say to those who are coming behind us, I'm going to do everything I can to help you be better than me. Here's why this is a big deal for us today, and I just want to say this out loud. Of all the values we've talked together as a church and all the things we've said, I think this would be the one that we could be in jeopardy right now in incrementally just doing little things to give this value away. In the present economy, in the present decisions that we're quietly making because they make sense. Did you know that right now we don't have a single intern at this church? We don't have a single next generation leader on staff coming up as an intern. We've got one or two interns, but that's because they're filling in what used to be a full-time role, and they're Band-Aids in a room. But we've, we've shut down our internship program because it was economically wise. Do you know, we used to have a program around here called Joshua Project, and what it was is we said to people, look, if you're interested in ministry, you're interested in getting your feet wet, trying to figure out if this is what God's doing in your life vocationally, you can raise your own support so it doesn't cost us anything. But you come and you serve, we'll let you learn ministry. We couldn't afford to pay the director. We don't have a Joshua project anymore. About 18, 20 months ago when you and I were talking about building buildings, I get it, I, I know where we are, I get it, I get it. But when we were talking about building buildings and one of the things we were saying out loud is we were saying, look, we've got to build an amazing children's building. We've got to build a building where kids want to come, can't wait to come and be part of what's happening here. We've got to build an amazing children's building. For the first time in our church, for the first time in our church, I heard people say, we don't need an amazing children's building. And if we're not careful, it'll become all about us. It'll become all about now. 
And I'm just going to be bold enough this morning. I'm just going to be out loud to say to you, would you be uncomfortable? Would you be willing to say, look, it's, it's not all about me, and it's okay if they don't sing my song, and it's okay if they don't dress exactly how I want them to dress. It's okay if the worship leader is wearing capris. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And would you sacrifice? Would you be willing to say, look, I, you know, our family may not take vacation this year, and we may not buy premium coffee this morning because there's a generation coming up next. And I'm willing to sacrifice that they would be better than me. Because it's not all about me, and it's not all about now. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we simply come before you. We just ask you to make us a church of next. Help us not to fall into the subtle mistakes, the small decisions over and over and over again that forever change who we are and why you've blessed this place. And God, I pray for Christians in this room who've never had an Owen. They've never had a next generation Christian who they've poured their life into so that they could be better than them. And God, I pray for some of us who've gotten really, really comfortable, said, hey, I've got a seat in the room, so I'm fine. It's okay if the kids don't have a great building and if we don't have interns around here. That we would, with decision today, decide to be a little bit uncomfortable and a whole lot sacrificial for next. In Jesus' precious name, amen.